So let's take a look at this lesson tonight. And I'm, I'm sorry, I guess when I put the graphic on that page, it kind of went off the page a little bit. I, it, it slid off. I don't know how that happened, but I'll try to get that fixed for future printings. But, but I think you can see where we are. The, the, the contentment in God's call is where we're going tonight. And there's a verse there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. You know, you know there's, there's real peace in that. Knowing that God has a way of doing what's going on, that helps you to become godly. It really does. Uh, for we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Learn to be content with what you have. You've got enough to eat. You've got a place to sleep. You've got a roof over your head. You've got clothes to wear. Be thankful. Now, some people don't have that either. The Apostle Paul wrote that, some of this stuff, from, from a prison cell. We were in Israel not long ago, and you know that. And one of the things that we went into was a prison where they, they believed it was the prison where they put Jesus the day before he went to the cross. And there was a hole in the ceiling, and it was up about 15 feet. And from what our guide said, it was a place where they would take a prisoner and just drop them down in there. They would lower them down on a rope, and they would be in there with other prisoners sometimes. Sometimes they'd be by themselves, and there was no way out. It was like, you know what a cistern is? A cistern is... It's like a big, a big tank. They have them around San Francisco, those, those places in the road where you see the bricks around. That's, those are cisterns where, where they would store water for when fires came. And uh, that's what it is. It's a big holding tank for water. And uh, they would lower them down into what, is, what was a cistern. And uh, there was no way. You couldn't jump out of it. You couldn't climb the walls. You couldn't get out the hole. And Paul wrote from a lot of lessons from a prison cell like that. And he learned to be content in those situations. That's not an easy thing to do. Uh, I remember being in that in that uh, cistern. Thank the Lord they put stairs down in there for us to walk in. And we didn't have to go down through that hole. I think I'd have got stuck in the hole. I'm not sure. But uh, my wife would have made it, but I'm not sure I would have. But uh, anyway, the uh, we, they had stairs going down there. But I remember thinking even when they were down there without with, with the stairs, I'm thinking... I don't want to be here. I want out of here. And, uh, and yet Paul could be content in places like that. All right, let's go back to our statement about ministry. What is ministry? Say it with me again. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels for the glory of God. And you all got it. You're doing well. Is that or you're cheating? I don't know which, but it's all right. You got it down. We've said it enough times. It ought to stick with you a little bit. So tonight, this idea of contentment, really, ultimately, it's about the glory of God. You know, it's a statement of rebellion when we say, I don't want where I am. I don't like where I am. Well, God either put you there or allowed you to be there for a reason. And there's something that you can learn from it. There's something that you can gain from it. There's something you can accomplish in it. And, uh, and we need to learn how that is. Contentment in God's will is the key to joy in ministry. Now, I have met some miserable pastors. I really have. I've met some pastors. I don't want to be here. This church, I, I wanted to be in a big church. I'm in a little church. Some are in big churches, and we say we're in little churches, frankly, because of all the work they have to do. I, I thought I was going to make more money in the ministry. I thought this was going to happen or that was going to happen. And not going the way I planned. I was 
thinking the other day of my dear aunt, who's 96 years old, I think, on Christmas Day this year. She'll be 96. She didn't plan to live this long. And uh, she sure didn't plan to outlive her son, who passed away a week or so ago. And she actually said that. She said, well, that wasn't my plan. And it wasn't her plan. But apparently it must have been God's will that he allowed it to happen. And so sometimes we have to learn to embrace the will of God, whether we like it or not. Whatever state you find yourself in, it is possible to be content. It is possible. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, on page 2 in your notes, you can look at that. It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Paul's in prison when he said, wrote this. Indeed, you were concerned for before, but you lacked opportunity. You weren't able to help me before. Now you can. Uh, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. We like to say that I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me when we're preparing for a race or a baseball game or a basketball game or whatever it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that means during the good times and the bad times. Whether you win or lose, whether you're in pain or whether you're in prosperity, you can learn to be content. Learn to be content. What was it, eight years ago today, my brother passed away. Seven or eight years ago today, my brother passed away. And I remember right up to the end, he was just trusting God. And he said, well, I guess it's time to go. Time for me to go to heaven. And he was ready because he knew it was the will of God for that timing in his life. So we have to learn to be that way. Uh, it, you know, we can read about contentment. We'd rather read about it, wouldn't we? We can hear about contentment. We can believe in the value of contentment. How many of you think it's a good thing to be content? Yeah. We can read about it. We can hear about it. We can believe in it. But sometimes it's hard to actually do it, isn't it? It's another thing to learn contentment. Learning contentment, it only comes by going through hard times. You got to go through struggles, and you got to see that God got you through that. Okay, He got me through that. What's next? I guess He can get me through whatever's next. And by the way, that last "What's next?" Death. <laughs> what's next? Wow, it's going to be great, right? If you know the Lord, right? I can do all things, even die, through Christ who strengthens me. So that's the whole idea here is learning to trust God in the good times and the bad times and having the right spirit about it, the right attitude about it, it's not easy. But you can learn it. You can. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't. How many people do you know who grumble and complain about everything? I know rich people that complain because they're not as rich as they'd like to be. I know people who drive nice cars who want to drive a Bentley. I know people who are married who want to be unmarried i know unmarried people who want to be married i know all kinds of people who just they just can't get content with their situation i live here but i want to live there i want this position but i'm in this position but i, I want to be in that position well we have all those and i don't think there's anything wrong with having some ambition and some desires but i think you have to learn to 
let God decide where that is going to be. You know, the truth of the matter is, I'm just as happy as an assistant pastor as I am as a pastor. I really am. There's benefits of being an assistant pastor, than there, and there's benefits of being a pastor. And uh, I won't go into it with you because I don't want to change jobs. But uh, the fact of the matter is, we, we can learn to be content. There are good things about every place that God puts us. We just have to figure out what that is. What is God trying to do through me in this situation? Contentment involves submitting to, surrendering to, and not as in surrendering and waving the white flag and saying, okay, God, I've had enough, I'll go ahead and give in. But it's embracing, willingly embracing the will of God. Willingly saying, okay, you put me here, God. This must be what you want for me. All right, so I'm, gonna, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm going to go with it all the way. I'm going to give it my best. And, uh, tr- and trust you. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8 are verses we've memorized, we've learned. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight or He'll direct your paths. But look at the rest of these verses. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Well, I think I've got a better idea than this. I, I, somehow I don't think this is good. This is the best. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So you get the idea that when you're not fearing the Lord, when you're trying to be wise in your own ideas, isn't that an evil thing? You're going to see a little bit later where I think you're going to see where it's an evil thing to be discontent. It's, it's a sinful thing to be discontent. It's a sinful thing to murmur and complain and gripe about your circumstances. It really is. And it begins with with. In bad places. We're going to go there a little bit later in the lesson. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When you do that, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. That's how you can be joyful in a prison cell. That's how you can be joyful from a hospital bed. That's how you can be joyful when circumstances are not going the way you planned. Because you know that God's got a plan. And I'm trusting Him. And that his way is perfect. Okay? Do you really trust God? Then you can learn to be content. Again, learn. It doesn't happen naturally. Now, we still have our own responsibilities to fulfill, don't we? Right? In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Well, I don't want to get out of bed today. I don't want to go to work. God will take care of me. Oh, wait a minute. He did say to take care of your family. He did say, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat, right? There's a lot of places in Scripture that talk about our responsibilities, and part of that is the will of God for us to take on our responsibilities and to take them seriously and embrace them. Well, I don't like my job. I'm not going to go. Well, no, you have to go. I tease my wife sometimes before we come to church. And, you know, I don't, I don't really want to go to church today. And she tells me, well, you have to go. You're the preacher, you know. So, so I do, and I go. But uh, even tonight we made that. I said, I'm tired. I'm just going to lay here. She said, no, you got to go. You're, you're the guy speaking tonight. So, but you know, we have to learn to, to, uh, to be content with what it is that God has given to us to do. And part of that ta- is taking our responsibilities seriously, whatever those may be. Page 3 talks about husbands and fathers going to work to provide for their wives and children. Of course, w- women do that too. Wives and mothers should work to meet the needs of their husbands and children. Uh, sometimes both parents work, sometimes husband and wife work, sometimes one works and the other one uh, has other responsibilities at home, but they still have responsibilities, right? 
and we all do our part. And adults should make appropriate pl plans to prepare for the days of declining health. All of us know, if you don't know, just look around, we're getting older, and, uh, and we all know that one day re retirement or death is coming. We all know that sometimes there may be a, a, a sickness coming that we may not know about, and we've got to prepare for that, and uh, we've got to look for those days. It's, a, it's part of the responsibility that we have. And then there are times when adult children have to take care of aging parents. Mom and dad, mom gets Alzheimer's or, or somebody gets ill, and you've you got to take care of them. And if you can't take care of them personally, you have a responsibility to make sure that they are taken care of. I've been thinking about that uh, for my own mother, and, uh, and I'm, I'm thankful for a brother where she lives and she takes care of him, and I try to encourage him along the way, because I know it's not easy. But we can be content with those responsibilities, and we can be content to take those things on, but we've got to take them on, and that is work. It's work to provide for your family. It's work to take care of your family. But then it's also work for us to grow spiritually. It doesn't just naturally happen. You know, you have to water a plant. You have to put some nutrients in the soil once in a while. You got to pull the weeds out. You got to do that. The ladies are trying to do something for, for uh, homecoming with some seeds and some plants, and they're finding that some of them are working and some of them are not. And they're, oh, I got to work at this a little bit to get these plants to come out like they're supposed to. And that's the way it is spiritually. We have to kind of work at this thing. Second Peter talks about this. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 says, Applying all diligence. We don't just sit back and wait for it to happen. Applying all diligence. That takes work. That takes effort. That takes a plan to get there. Applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. You're working at this. They render you neither useless, useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, not working at it, is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. He's forgotten what God's done for him, and he's just lazy and just waiting for it to happen. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing for you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. And you'll grow. And there will be maturity, and you will find contentment in your life. This is why we tell you, read your Bible. This is why we tell you, spend time in prayer. This is why we tell you, go out and witness. You find you grow even as you witness to people, because you have to learn some things to answer their questions when they come up. Uh, we've, we've, this is why you need to go to church. This is why you need to fellowship and rub shoulders with other Christians and let that iron sharpening iron happen. This is how you grow spiritually. By the way, ladies, don't forget Saturday at 9.30, you have your ladies' uh, meeting here today up at, up at uh, Browning Hall. I think they're going to try to have it up there. And um, if we can get that all ready to go, and it's, all, and it's almost ready. And uh, so that'll happen. So ladies, be there. Be a part of that thing, whether you're online or whether you're in person. Just be there because that's an important part of your spiritual growth and adding to your faith and developing. Uh, we do that with the men at the man up thing. And uh, there's, of course, this meeting and then there's Sunday services and all those things. Those are all to help you to grow spiritually. You take responsibility. It's not going to happen just if you lay in bed and wait for it to come to you. We're not going to bring the church to you. You've got to come to it. That's the way it works, okay? Even if you're at home on live stream, you've got to turn the TV on, you know, or the, or the computer on. All right? So it says here, um, we're responsible on page four. We're responsible to do our part 
But the things we can't control, we have to leave in the hands of our sovereign God. Have you ever made a plan and, and then some big road plot, roadblock comes in the way and you say, oh, well, guess we're not going there. Right? Well, you must have to understand that, that must, God must have something to do with that. And he's got a plan. And he's got a way for you to get around that. You've got to find out what that is. I remember driving back to the castle one time from when I was out visiting a church and I got in really late, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and something in my head, in my heart, said, Dan, stop. It happened two, two different times. And so I said, all right. And I don't know. It was weird. I mean, I wasn't hearing voices in my head. There was just something in my spirit said, stop. And I stopped. And I looked in front of me, and a big old boulder had rolled down in front of the road and was laying in the middle of the road in front of me. But, oh, that's why. I'm glad I didn't hit that thing. And I went around it. And I got home. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. Another time, I'm driving on the road, and I stop. I'm going, okay, why? And I, and, and I heard an elk right across in front of my car. And I, I got them all in the headlights. And I'm glad I didn't get them with the hood, you know. Um, sometimes we run into that. Those are physical things. But sometimes there's an illness that comes, a death in the family. We weren't, like my aunt said, I, I wasn't expecting that. Sometimes, you know, our children get sick. Sometimes all of a sudden we find ourselves, we've lost a job. I've been there. And you go, what in the world is God doing? And that's when you have to just stop and say, okay, Lord, what are you going to, what are you going to teach me through this? That's what contentment does. Otherwise, you go, that shouldn't have happened to me. I deserve better than this. And why in the world did it happen to me and not that person who's so much worse than me? And we compare ourselves by ourselves, and that's not wise, the Bible says, right? So we have to just stop and say, okay, Lord, what is it you're doing? What are you doing here? I know somebody in this room right now is going in for some medical procedures. You gotta stop and say, okay, what are you trying to do here, Lord? Trust you. Trust you. Get through this. Psalm 37, verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. That's the song we sang. Trust and obey. We trust God and we obey what we know. Right? We do our part, that's the obey part. Trust is the God part. Okay? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Just stay where you are until God makes it clear you're supposed to do something different. Okay? Delight yourself in the Lord. Okay, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You want God's will, he's going to give it to you. If you, commit, if you delight yourself in it. Okay? Commit your way to the Lord. Okay, God, whatever. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He'll do his part. He'll always do his part. He will bring forth your righteousness. He'll teach you. He'll grow you. He'll develop you. He'll mature you. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as noonday. He'll give you the wisdom you need. And even in the darkest time, it's going to be like bright day, if you're trusting him and walking with him. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Patiently. Oh, say that with me patiently we hate to be patient we hate to be patient the only way you can learn to be patient is to go through a hard time and you got to wait you can't you don't have a choice you got that's it's contentment it's it, you have you can't it, this doesn't naturally happen <sighs> we should have got that done should have got that well no the roadblock hit you gotta stop 
Okay, Lord, what's next? Wait patiently. I like this picture here in the middle of page four. See what that little guy's doing? How many of you have ever done that? I am not doing it at my age, okay? But that little guy's up on a rock, his dad's down below him, and he is jumping off, and there's no way he's going to stop until he lands in daddy's arms, right? So do you believe that God is good? You don't jump unless you do, right? I heard about a guy that did that. I probably told you about that. A guy who put his kid up on a, on a high place and said, jump! Kid jumped, and dad went. The kid fell on the ground in a pile and started crying. He said, see, son, don't ever trust anybody. What a horrible lesson. Okay? But, but that's, that, that's what he taught his son that day. Well, you can't trust anybody. You sure can't trust God. That's a terrible way to teach your kid that. Okay? Teach your kids to trust God. Is God really good? Then trust him. All right? Show them that you're good and take care of them. Do you really believe that God is all-powerful? Again, at my size and at my age, I'm not jumping off because I don't know that anybody's going to catch me. Right? Physically. But I can trust my God. He's going to take care of me. Right? Do you really believe God has your best interest in mind? That little boy believed that his dad had his best interest in mind or he wouldn't have jumped. This is fun. Dad's going to take care of me. If you believe God is good and that he's powerful and that he has your best interest in mind, you can trust him. Right? Right? Is that who your God is? That's who my God is. All right, you can't trust God and worry at the same time. You know that? Now, that doesn't mean you don't have concerns, but you say, okay, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm waiting on you. I'm trusting you. I want to trust you. I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I should jump. But until you actually jump, that's when you start trusting. You're thinking about it. You may be worrying. All right? So you got to wait. we got to wait this out. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. A lot of people trust their wealth. Kind of hard to trust it right now, isn't it? How many of you have seen the market drop? I talked to Jan Milton today, our, the man who was here not too long ago, Operation Renewed Hope. He goes into disaster relief areas. He's been down in Florida where the, where the flooding has been. He just was down in Haiti. You know how much gas is in Haiti right now? It's between 30 and $40 a gallon. He's seeing things like this, okay? Um, let's see. No man can serve two masters for Israel. Either he will hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot trust, you cannot serve God in wealth. All right, you've got to just trust God, pay your bills the best you can, and your wealth is going to go away. Stock market's dropping like a rock, but you can still trust God, right? Verse 25, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, or for your body as to what you should put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worthy much worth, are you... Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? I don't know anybody like that. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you, 
that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is there is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I appreciated the other day meeting the um, Utleys that were here. They're going to a Central Asian country. And at this point, they don't even know which country they're going to as missionaries. But they're saying, okay, God's going to lead us. He's going to show us. And they're visiting this country and they're visiting that country and they're preparing and they're content to go wherever God wants them to go. Eat whatever God puts in front of them. Sleep where God puts them. Uh, because they know that God's going to take care of them. Here they are, a family of five and a little baby on the way. And they're willing to trust God. It's verse 34, so do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, care, take, tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just get through today. I'm working with another gentleman right now, going through some hard times. And he's telling me about his difficulties. I said, okay, let's just get through today. Let's see what tomorrow holds. That's the way we've got to deal with this thing. Trust God today. You got some place to sleep tonight? Yep. You got a house? Yep. You got, you got clothes? Yep. Okay, you got enough. Keep going. And that's the way we've got to do it. That's the way we've got to do it sometimes. And uh, praise the Lord, he meets our needs. Number, page number five. Faith is, in, is trusting God even when you don't understand the plan. Oh, I have been there. <laughs> I don't know. Why did this happen? Where is this going? Okay, Lord, I trust you. It's a decision you have to make. Nobody can do it for you. But if you want to be content, you're going to have to just trust God. And uh, otherwise, you're just going to be a miserable, complaining, worrying wart with ulcers. And that's what's going to happen. Okay? I like I, uh, a book I read some time ago. It was called The, the Art of Divine Contentment written by a Puritan named Thomas Watson. And I found a copy of it on Kindle that was in modern English. It makes it a little easier to understand. Sometimes the older English is difficult. But uh, there's a quote there in that, in that box, that, that painting, that picture on page five. Worry uh, that is either untrusting or distracting is very dishonorable to God. When you sit around and wring your hands and, oh no, and, you know, you get all upset. That says, God, I don't trust you. That says, God, you can't meet my needs. That says, I don't care what God says. I've got to do this myself. Okay? It takes away his providence. It says, as if he sat in heaven without caring what happened here below. Like a man who makes a clock and then leaves it to run by itself. That's what the old deists used to believe. That God just created the world, he wound the clock, and he threw it out there and said, okay, you survive on your own. No, God's involved in our daily lives. He cares about our daily lives. He listens to our prayers. He gives us direction with the Holy Spirit. He helps us to find places in his word to give us encouragement. Excessive care takes the heart away from better things. It, 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 it puts a wet blanket on your joy. It kills joy. Worry is a spiritual cancer that wastes and demoralizes. It makes you discouraged. It makes everybody else around you discouraged. It doesn't help. 
it doesn't bring glory to God. Remember, ministry, part of it, the ultimate thing is for the glory of God. So how can you worry for the glory of God? You can't. This is where contentment kicks in. Our worry is more likely to add a mile to our grief than a yard to our comfort. That's a good statement. Our worry is likely to add a mile to our grief than a yard to our comfort. It's not going to make us feel any better. It's just going to make us feel worse. So we need to stop doing it. Contentment is the epitome of faith. It is the essence of faith. It is resting in the goodness and the grace of God. It is believing that his will really is the best thing that could ever happen to me. It really is. Even if right now I don't understand it. He's doing something. And i got to wait and see what it is. Oh my, I've been there a few times. I've had to make the choice. And you will need to make that choice if you want to have contentment. To learn contentment requires diligent effort that is contrary to human nature. Human nature naturally wants to fret and worry. Right? You've heard the illustration, worry is like a rocking chair. You've never heard that? It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Right? And that's what worry is. It's just back and forth and back and forth. Oh, me, why, woe is me. It doesn't get you anywhere. Trust the Lord. That's the way you make progress. That's the way you get going. Denying self. Surrender your will for God's better will. Well, I think I know. I'm pretty smart. You're not as smart as God. I'm pretty strong. You're not as strong as God. I'm pretty wise. Not as wise as God. Pretty rich, not as rich as God. Disciplining self, even if it's painful. Paul disciplined himself in spite of all the things he went through, the Apostle Paul. And he went through those things and he said, I can be content. My brother Paul did the same thing. He had cancer. They they gave him they gave him chemotherapy that was terrible. His hair all fell out. They radiated his throat, made his voice sound funny. They did all sorts of things to him, made him put him through a lot of pain, but he maintained contentment because he said, God's putting me through this. There's a purpose. I want to glorify him even in the middle of this. And I can tell you, when you went to his funeral, people said, that man was a blessing. Why? Instead of keeping his focus on his problems, he kept his focus on God. You heard the statement, what are you doing? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. And the statement is, what are you doing under those? Get out from under that. Put your eyes on God. Okay? All right? So discipline yourself. Make yourself choose to trust God. Make yourself do it. Make that choice. When you get up in the morning and you ache and you got aches and pains, say, Lord, I don't know why I hurt, but would you please help me get through this? Help me have the right spirit. Dying to the world. Anything that you cannot give up for God is an idol. You ever have something and then all of a sudden... Like right tomorrow, I've got to take my car to the shop. Oh, oh. I could sit and go, oh, oh. No, I did a little bit. And then I said, okay, God, that's your car. Anyway, you're going to get me around somehow. And it'll be fine. Okay? You can't worship your car. You can't worship your bank account. You can't worship whatever it is that you have. Whatever it is, that TV set. Whatever it is. You can't worship those things. And you can't say, well, you know, I lost that thing. Well, that must, that's horrible. Well, whatever it was. It, it, it could be a person. It could be a person. Anything or anybody 
that you could not lose in the will of God is an idol. You need to be careful of that. Taking up your cross to follow Christ. You do it not only on the golden path, but remember taking up a cross. Where did it lead Jesus? Huh? Where did it lead Jesus? Where did it lead Paul? It led him to persecution. It led him to struggle. It led him to pain. You take up your cross and follow the Lord, there's going to be some of that. There is. It's just part of the growth process. It's part of the learning process. Just like when you had to strain your brain to learn those math tables when you were a kid. You ever see the new math program? I saw a math program the other day. Is there a pen up here? I don't. I think the pens are gone. I won't, it's gone. I can't do it. I saw a math program. You ever know, you know those algebra programs where they put the put their rack up there and they said find x, and they put x and they give you all these numbers. I saw a number the other day. Guy circled the x. There it is. He didn't do the math problem, but he found the x. But um, that's the way I like to do math. But we have to struggle sometimes to get through some of these things to learn these things. Okay. Um, embracing God's will completely completely okay God even when there seems to be no honor or pleasure or purpose in it that's what we have to do now contentment's hard Satan is where it all began this discontentment started look at the next page page 6 think for just a minute In the beginning of creation, in the beginning of creation, God created the heavens and the earth. Along with that, he created angels. Angels were there to do his bidding, to go wherever he wanted them to do. He created some that were cherubs, some that were cherubim, some that were other types of angels, seraphims. There were other kinds of angels, all these angels. But one of them was the chief angel, the number one angel, the most beautiful angel, the most powerful angel. And he was right there, close to God. And he wasn't content. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Went in the beauty contest and it's not enough. Getting first place in the Super Bowl and it's not enough. I got to get one more ring. Ask Tom. Right? And his marriage is falling apart while he's seeking another ring. Horrible. Horrible. Not content. Jude verse one, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 6. There's only one chapter, so I put that in there for those of you who forget that. Jude 1, 6. Angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal hand, bonds under darkness for the judgment of that great day. There are angels who rebelled against God. I don't know exactly how or when it all happened. But there was a rebellion in heaven, and Satan and a host of angels rebelled against God. And they were cast out of heaven because of their rebellion. Angels, unlike us, have no hope of redemption. They made their choice at the beginning. They saw God face to face, and they gave up on him. They didn't want him. And he said, okay. And so they're in a place that's worse than we are. Now, Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, and then on the next page here is Ezekiel chapter 28. Those are two major passages that most of the theologians use to describe Satan and his fall and how he fell from heaven, okay? They're talking about real kings, the king of Babylon in Isaiah, the king of um, Tyre in uh, in Ezekiel. They're real kings, but there's a a type there or a a visual picture of, of, uh, of something that we're supposed to learn, a poetic description here. 
All right, so in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, how, art you, how have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn? That's Satan. That's Lucifer. That's in heaven. You have been cut down to the earth. You have, been, you have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Nevertheless, you shall be thrust down to Sheol. King James says, hell to the recesses of the pit. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus described it. He says, I was seeing Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And then Ezekiel's uh, description is found in Ezekiel chapter 28 on the next page. You had the seal of perfection, verse 12, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and all those diamonds. On the day that you were created, you were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. God placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. Verse 18 goes on and says, you profaned your sanctuaries. And God says, therefore, you can't be in my heaven. So what happened was, as beautiful and as strong and as in privileged place as he was, it was not enough. He wasn't content. Why? I know people like this. As good as they have it, it's not good enough. They always want more. It's devilish to live that way. It's devilish to be discontent. You say, well, I'm just not... That's evil. And you need to recognize it. You need to accept it. It's evil. You need to repent of it. You need to turn from it. Because destruction comes. What does the Bible say? Pride goes before destruction. Look what it did to Satan. A haughty spirit before a fall. Well, that's saying, my way is better, God. I don't like the situation I'm in. I don't like my circumstances. I don't like this. Right, complain, right, complain. And that's pride. I deserve better than this. That's what that is. No. God has a plan for all of this stuff. Paul could have said that about prison cells. He could have said that about shipwrecks. He could have said about some of the weird food he had to eat while he was on these mission field for mission trips. He could have said about that when a snake bit him in a fire. He could have said a lot of things. But he said, no, I'm content. God put me in this circumstance. There's something to come out of this. I need to find out what it is. Discontentment cost Satan heaven. Discontentment cost Adam and Eve the garden. What happened? Satan gets down to earth and speaks to Eve. He says, you know, God said that you eat that, that fruit and you're going to be as wise as God. You're going to be like God. And Eve bit into that, literally. And she bought into the program. And she bought into being discontent. They had everything in the world except one thing. And they weren't content. That's the way sin gets into us. 
Living in the Garden of Eden in fellowship with God was not enough for Adam and Eve. They wanted more. They wanted something better. They were not content with their station in life. And like Satan, they wanted to be like God. And that got them and all of us into trouble. Because we inherited that same type of thinking. Look at page 8. In their, dis- in their discontentment with God's plan, our first pa- parents willfully decided to circumvent God's plan and go their own way, doing their own thing. And it didn't turn out so well, did it? Their discontentment cost them everything, bringing sin and all of its consequences into the world. Contentment and godliness are twin virtues. Who were those twins that were up on Nob Hill? You remember those twins? I don't know if one was, you remember the, the twin ladies who used to wear, they dressed the same way and walked around, they were kind of legendary around San Francisco back in the day. I see them in some of my old pictures of San Francisco remembered and things like that. Yeah, they, they walked around, they were a lot alike. And that's the, way, that's the way this is. Godliness and contentment, they're a lot alike. They're saying, okay, we, we, we're, we're, we can embrace this. We, we're, we're, not, we're not ashamed of this. We're, we're going to be this way. We're making this choice. First Timothy chapter 6, we read this at the beginning. Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with those, we shall be content. So what does contentment look like? I like this other illustration that came from Thomas Watson. A contented spirit is like a watch. You throw, Though you carry it up and down with you, it goes up and down and up and down like the one on my wrist here. And its springs are not shaken, nor the gears out of order, but the watch keeps its perfect time, if it's a good watch. Uh, so it was with Paul. Though God had carried him into various conditions, yet he was not lifted up with the one, nor cast down with the other. The spring of his heart was not broken, nor the gears of his affection disordered, but they kept their constant motion toward heaven still content. It's something when you give your will to God. And he keeps you going in the right direction when everything else seems to be falling apart. The Apostle Paul did not have an easy life, but he was content. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 3 through 10 tells us some of the circumstances he went through. Giving no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited. He said, I'm not going to complain because I don't want God, anybody to think that the ministry is not worth it. Verse 4, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. We're just God's servants, whatever he wants. In much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distress, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God. You see the ups and the downs by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, and yet true, as unknown, yet well known, as dying, yet behold, we live, as punished, yet not put to death, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. He says, I'm going through the ups and downs, but I found my contentment in Jesus Christ and his perfect will. That's where contentment is found. He sets an example, page 9, for us to follow. Trusting God even when life is not what we expect it to be. Even when the path is painful and distressing. Now, why am I spending time on this topic? 
because I'm getting ready to go into another topic that can be very distressing. Marriage. And I know in this room we have some people who are single. There's some people who are married. There's some people who were married and are no longer married. There are people uh, talked or texted back and forth today with a, a, a man and a woman who are single and want to be married. And, and, and we, we, we have to look at all these things. And even in marriage, where we are in that state, there needs to be a matter of contentment. We need to find out what the contentment is, okay? And how we face this thing, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I would encourage you over the next week or so, spend some time reading that passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Which chapter? Which book? Okay, not Chronicles. That won't do any good for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, and if you're single, for whatever reason, if you're married, whatever reason, there's something in there for you. There really is. And we need to look at this. In that passage, the Apostle Paul, Paul speaks of several groups of people and their relationship to the covenant of marriage. Married people in verses 1 through 6, unmarried people in verses 7 through 9, married and considering divorce in verses 10 through 16, unmarried and considering marriage in verses 25 to 38, widowed people in verses 39 and 40, and then there are other considerations that we look at in between 17 to 24, and some of those are listed at the bottom of page 9. It deals with circumcision and other things like that, that you go, what does that have to do with anything? Well, those are extreme things, Okay. Those are extreme things here in all these situations. And yet, there's contentment in whatever these circumstances are that we find ourselves in. And we have to find out that it is more important for us to find the will of God regarding marriage, being married or not being married, how we live in our marriage. It's very important that we find the will of God in these things in order to have contentment. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves grumbling, complaining, and griping, and trying to get out of it, and making things change, and trying to force things, and that sort of thing. There's a way. There's a way. I think verses 17, 20, and then there's another verse, I think it's 24. It says 17, 7, 20, but it's verse 24. You can write that down in your notes if you want at the bottom of page 9. Chapter 7, verse 17 says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one. As God has called each in this manner, let him walk. Okay? So if God's called you to be married, be married. If God's called you to be single, be single. But walk in the will of God. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. Each man must remain in that condition which he was called. Stay there until God makes it clear that you're supposed to change. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. This is the idea of where we need to handle this. It's learn to be content with where you are before you make any moves. Make sure that you know where you are before you make any moves. I used, but Chris and I, when we were dating as kids, we, dated, we were young all through high school, getting close to getting married. And then we said, well, is this the will of God or is this not the will of God? I love you, but should we get married or not? Can we serve God better together or can we serve God better to get together as single? And we were able to determine in our hearts and through scripture and through counsel that it was better to get married. So we did. It wasn't just because we wanted to, but we did want to. But it really was. We, we truly did consider the will of God in that. 
And uh, so it's important that we do that. Page 10, look at this here. If we're single, we're to consider the will of God. If we marry, we're to marry in the will of God. If we are married, we're to stay married in the will of God. If for some reason we're no longer married, we must respond to the situation with a mind for the will of God. Whatever our station, we are to be, what's that word with a C? Content. Content with the will of God. And be willing to wait to see if God wants to change our situation in this important matter of life. And there are a lot of ways this can go. But we're going to just try to take you in the Bible and let you see what it says. I like that illustration there. If you're going to get married, I used to tell people, young people, and I still do, if, if you want to get married, you find somebody who's running towards the will of God, and then you run alongside them and see if God puts you together. And if they're not running in the will of God, then you need to get away from that person because they're going to drag you down. Really important. Really very important. Ultimately, whether we're married or single, the goal is to please Jesus Christ. Right? And there are ministries for married people. There are ministries for single people. First Corinthians 7 can help us to figure out what that is. And we're out of time. I just looked up at the clock. Some of you have already shut me down, so it's time to go. But um, I really want to help you with this. Okay? So let's close with a word of prayer. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for your attentiveness. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're a good God, that you love us, that your plan is better than anything we could ever imagine. We look forward to that day when we're in the ultimate place of your will, that is heaven, where we get to spend time with you and we get to see you as you are. What a joy that will be. In the meantime, while we're here, as we go through this struggle, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, for the one who's going in for medical procedures tomorrow. I pray that you give them contentment and peace as they go in. I pray for a good outcome. For others who are seeking jobs, I pray that you'll open those doors for them. Give them contentment as they wait. I pray, Lord, that you'll meet each need in your perfect timing according to your perfect will. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.